So we continue our sermon series about courage, and I've been reading this book. It really is a great book, and so use it as kind of a springboard for the sermon series during Lent, um, Tom Berlin, Courage, Jesus, and the Call to Brave Faith. And so we, one of the things he, he mentions the book, and I totally understand and respect this, I, I think that Jesus is the most, really most courageous person I've ever experienced in my life. And you go back and look at the scriptures and how he just took on so many challenging situations and was willing to go all the way to a cross, knowing that he was going to have to be crucified is really is there as a testimony of Jesus is an unbelievable courage and he did that throughout his life especially as we highlight the last three years of his life over and over again so the definition of courage is actually with the ability to do something that even well even frightens you the word clarity we talked about clearly the first week because when Jesus goes you know we begin Lent he goes out into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights and and one of the things I, I, Tom highlights in the book, and I really believe this too, Jesus did that in order to get clarity on what he was about to do. And then we, well, last week, we talked a little bit about conviction. And so, you know, it's one of those times in which Jesus is in the temple, he's um, in the, actually in the synagogue, and the woman comes and she's been hunched over for 18 years. And so, um, not supposed to heal on the Sabbath, but you know what Jesus does? He he has this conviction he heals her anyway. It's almost one of those times and you could just, you, you know he's going to get in trouble. He knows he's going to get in trouble. He knows he's going to be ostracized, but he does it anyway. And that's, we talked a little bit about the idea of conviction. So this week we're going to talk about candor or, the, or being candid in way, the way that we actually talk and reflect upon people and how we um, are involved with people and the idea of being candid with sometimes in our, in our, even in our conversations. And so one of the things that Tom had highlighted, and I really love this, this is a great t- quote about being candor or being candid. He says, candor is spoken courage. Candor is the quality of being open and honest. It is the willingness to address hard topics, to go places and conversations many people would avoid. It is the capacity to state our values and express facts and truth in a thoughtful and unwavering fashion. Candor is also found in the courage of the discretion discretion that allows us to know how to be silent without being complacent. And then he goes on, he says, he says, throughout the gospel, Jesus shows little concern about how others view him. When he teaches, leads, and does the work of his mission, he does not take polls to chart his approval ratings. His focus is to do the work or of functional relationships. Jesus had no fears that limit his conversations with people. This is how he offers them the opportunity to grow in their love for God, neighbor, and themselves. Courage and candor are required elements of such discussions. So yeah, I was thinking about this, this topic about being candid, and so um, it was reflected upon last week. And so here's, um, I, I was thinking back, um, does anybody remember what I preached on last, that my sermon series last Lent? Does anybody remember that? Uh, me either. I, I could not remember. So <laughs> I went back, and this story is actually one of the stories I preached on a year ago. And it's a, it, I, the sermon series is called Dining with Jesus. Oh, you go, oh, yeah, I remember that now. It's so Dining with Jesus. And so we, we talked about all, there's actually seven different times in the Gospels that Jesus di- dines with people. And three of the seven, Jesus is actually dining with the Pharisees. And so uh, this is really an um, amazing part of this, this story today, once again, as we think about how Jesus connects with people. 
And this particular, he has this very candid conversation with Simon, the, the Pharisee. And so, you know, I was thinking about this last week. I had a conversation with somebody, I don't know if it was on our staff or somebody out here in the narthex or something. And, and we were talking about like a crown, around Thanksgiving and Christmas, right? What did, when you get around the table with talking with people, um, especially with family or friends, and what are the two things you just do not want to bring up around Christmas or Thanksgiving? Uh, religion and politics, right? And we talked about that. It's, and there, here's the reason why you want to bring up uh, religion and politics. It's because um, if you bring that up because you're afraid, you know, if you, if you actually go there, then you're afraid that you might hurt someone. And so you don't want to even go there. So a lot of times we don't have that candid conversation about religion and politics because we don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Here's the other reason why. is If you bring that up and then all of a sudden you hurt somebody's feelings, the chances are you might actually get thrown out of Christmas and Thanksgiving dinner. And it might even be your house, your own house house, right? So that means there's no turkey for you, there's no honey-baked ham for you, and there's no green, bo- green bean casserole for you with, you know, with the little onions on top. You're not going to get any of that because you, get, you brought up religion and politics, right? The middle of dinner. And, and so here's the reality, and we all get this, right? The idea is sometimes we have a kind of pick and choose when we're going to actually be candid and have these candid conversations about life. So I was reflecting upon my own life Think about some of the times in your life when someone said something to you, and maybe, you know, either you took it one way or you took it another way, or you felt like you offended or you offended them, and a lot of times we just want, don't want to go there. And yet Jesus, over and over again, Jesus goes there. So my hope for us to think about today is I hope that maybe we can learn something from Jesus as a role model about having candid conversations. So, so I was reflecting upon life. So I remember, you know, maybe 20, 25 years ago, my, you know, Don and I got married in 1989 and, you know, we, 1991, we had our first child and, you know, I was in my churches and I was working really hard. And by the time we got from my first church, I went to my second church in Dun Ellen. And so um, we had like two or three kids at this point. My father comes into me one day. He says, you know, Hildre, he says, you're working way too hard. You're working way too many hours and you're not paying attention to your children. You're not paying attention to your family. And of course that went through one ear and out the other, right? Because I'm a little hard-hearted. I don't know if you realize that, but my wife can share that with you, right? And so my kids can share that. So sometimes a little stubborn. And so, but my father was actually being very wise. Uh, and, and he was trying to really have a candid conversation and tell me something that he saw in my life. And my father, you know, we had a really good relationship. He could do that. But he was not afraid to do that. I, I was thinking of my friend Nelson. And, you know, um, my friend, uh, I, I love Nelson. Nelson was my best man in my wedding. Matter of fact, I got a picture of me and Nelson. This is actually taken, I don't know, two or three years ago. And, and so, you know, one day, um, um, we're talking about a candid conversation, his mother calls him up and says, Nelson, I've got bad news for you. He says, your father was just murdered. And um, it's so senseless. You're talking about having a candid conversation, how heartbreaking it is to have you call your son up and say, your father's just been murdered. Some kids, well, actually, he was unloading some things from his house, and they actually um, came to rob him at gunpoint, and it went south, and... The girl shot him. She was a teenager. And you know what, she, what they got out of it? They got his debit card and they went to Target. And such a waste. Candid conversation. So here, here's another one. 
So one day I was, went to the doctor with Nelson because he was blood work didn't come back. And so once again, we've had these conversations with our doctors. And so the doctor came in and says, hey, Nelson, I, I got good news and bad news. And he says, here's the bad news. You got leukemia. Uh, the good news is that you have the, one of the, the most treatable types of leukemia. So let's start today. I'll never forget that. And so once again, when you think about medical professions and doctors and sometimes our nurses have to come in, they have to have a conversation with us, you know? We also understand that as well. A couple of weeks ago, I was talking to Nelson. And he was talking about his mother. His mother is 92, Marie. Um, love Marie very much. She's been through a lot. And he had to go have a conversation with his mother. And she, he says, Mom, I'm taking your car keys. He says, Mom, you can't drive anymore. This isn't good. Matter of fact, I know you can't take care of yourself anymore. So you're going to come, and I'm going to take your car keys, and it's going to be okay, Mom, and you're going to come and live with me, and I'm going to take care of you. I mean, how many times have we, you know, you think about life and have came a conversation. You think about, um, I have been in the room many times with people who were, are actually on life support, and they come to the family and say, listen, you've got a tough decision to make. To either you have to unplug the machines or not because their life is never going to be the same. Talking about it came to conversation. So I remember one of the, one of the things I, I've learned in life is there had been, I would call like these little defining moments of came to conversations that people have said something to me and either I've been somewhat resentful and think, well, why do you tell me that, right? Or you can actually accept it or you can own it and take responsibility for it. So uh, I love this story. I, I think I've shared it with you before. But um, um, so one day I was, you know, this is, I don't know, several years ago, I was coaching Little League Baseball. And um, my friend Pat Ford was the opposing coach on the opposite team. And so, matter of fact, my son Jordan and his son Kevin are actually to this day still best friends. Matter of fact, they'll both be in each other's weddings. So they keep up with each other. They talk to each other every day. And so they were playing against each other. And so Pat and I have always had a really great relationship and and so, um, so we had this game, and it got to about the fourth inning, and all of a sudden, the sprinklers came on. Well, doggone it, nobody knew how to turn the sprinklers off in the middle of the game, right? <laughs> right? So turn them off. No, well, they couldn't figure out how to turn, so we had to postpone the game. And so, the, uh, so what happened is the next night, um, what happened was is that you could either, we're starting the game from the fourth inning, but I had some kids that weren't there the night before that showed up for the next night. And one of the kids on the team was um, a little Johnny, and Johnny couldn't hit, he couldn't throw, he couldn't catch, but you know what? He was tried, he had a good heart, and, and so we met at home plate, and so I, I said, well, I asked the umpire, I said, so are we going to continue just to play with the same kids, or if we have additional kids, do we have to play them? Because there is a rule in Little League that you have to play all your kids. He says, well, you know what? Since it's, you know, it's kind of a delayed game, and so he says, you could do whatever you want, Harold. And so... Um, Pat said, well, I've got additional kids tonight, and I'm playing all my kids. And I said, well, suit yourself. <laughs> so, um, so I didn't play little Johnny that night, and so Johnny, you know, I said, I'm sorry, Johnny, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, you weren't here last night, but, you know, I'll get you in the next game. And so then at the very end of the game, we, well, our, my team won, and we were walking across the pitcher's mound, and we were, you know, traditionally, this is how it goes. You go, good game, good game, good game. You slap hands. We've seen that. And so it's part of the, uh, just kind of the culture of Little League. 
And so I get, I'm, the manager's always the last one. And so I'm the manager of my team, Pat's the manager of his team, and as we're crossing each other and saying, good game, good game, Pat says to me, Harold? I said, what's that? He says, I want you to know, I'm, I'm really disappointing you tonight. And then he said, I thought it was about the kids. And then he shared with me that he just thought that um, I was wrong. I thought you were better than that, Harold. Sore loser. <laughs> okay, so then I, I go, I get in the car, I get in the car, and I, I'm starting to reflect, and all of a sudden, I started feeling guilty. And then I go home, and I watch the ceiling thing all night long, right? And so, you know what, that really had, I, I'm going to come back to the very end of my message tonight, and today, and I'll give you the full, the rest of the story, but I'm telling you what, that little conversation, that took to me, that took guts to do it. You know, it was just three little sentences, you know, Harold, I'm disappointing you, I thought it was about the kids, I, I thought you were better than that. That was it. So let me ask you something. See, there are times in our lives that we, you know, it takes guts to be able to be sometimes to be well, what I call clarity, conviction, and, and being candid with other people. And, and so when, when I think about this, um, I love this, this particular story tonight, and, and, and we look at different parts of Jesus and his, and his life and times, but, but there are also times in our lives that we can see how this all kind of plays out in our own personal lives. Like, here's what I, I you know, I, I don't, I can appreciate canonness, but I tell you what I get from time to time that really annoys me, and it's called the anonymous letter, Matter of fact, um, I, I'm, uh, I love this quote from Tom Bell. Candor is not, not unregulated speech. It is not launching verbal torpedoes whenever you are excited about something. Abusive or threatening speech is not candor. Candor is never found in the anonymous note because there is not a shred of courage in such correspondence. I like that. I, I, have, a whole, I have a whole drawer full of anonymous letters, right? I mean, after 34 years, you know, I get it. I, I do. I, I, I totally understand. And you know what? An interesting thing in his, when he was um, in his book and also when he preached his sermon, uh, he referred to this um, woman. Her name was Sarah Pasucci, and Sarah received an anonymous letter. And matter of fact, here's a picture of the anonymous letter. It says, take your Christmas lights down. It's Valentine's Day. <laughs> and matter of fact, here's her house. Can you put the picture up? Here's her house, right? <laughs> And so she was just, you know, she was like appalled that they would actually send her this anonymous letter. And, and so what was very interesting when you, well, actually she posted and sent this out um, on social media in order to hopefully find out who actually wrote her the anonymous letter. And so what she wrote and, the, and when she posted, she says, people have no idea what I'm going through right now. She says, my father was just died of COVID. Someone else in my family just died of COVID. And the reason why I didn't take down the Christmas lights because I was dealing with all funeral arrangements right after Christmas. And, and so, um, 
And she said, you know, and part of the reason why I left my Christmas lights up is because my father put them up and my father loved Christmas. So I didn't want to take them down. I wanted my Christmas lights up. And so, you know, to me, and she, and then she says, people, I love, so she says, people have no idea a lot of times what they're, what I'm, what people are going through. I mean, so how could, how could this, this situation been totally different if, if, if it would have just started with someone actually knocking on the door rather than sending someone send an anonymous letter and saying, hey, listen, how can I help you? I see your Christmas lights are up. You know, is there something going on? Is there something I can maybe help you? And so how that all kind of been transformed by a simple knock on the door and saying, hey, listen, what can I do for you? See the difference? And so what I think about it in perspective, I love the way that, um, matter of fact, let me pick this last bit. Here's a picture of Sarah and her father, yeah, the one that died. So I was thinking about this this week, and so um, I, what I love about Jesus when it comes to being candid um, and so let me just teach for a second in the story that the kids read just a few minutes ago. Jesus is always about association, not separation. Let me say that again. If you look at the three years of Jesus' ministry, let's be really clear. Jesus is not about separation. Jesus is about association. Can you say that with me? Jesus is about not about separation, but he's about Okay, all right, good. All right, let's hold on to that. Okay, so there are seven different times in which Jesus sits down and has dinner with people, we find. And, and, and three of those had to do with the Pharisees. Now, here's the interesting thing. Teach for a second. So the Pharisees, the word Pharisee literally means to be set apart. Okay, so the Pharisees are always about separation. And so they were very, you know, they were so devout and so orthodox when it came to life that they were really, you know, it was all about being separated, separating themselves from sin, separating themselves from sinful people, separating themselves from eating with sinful people. Separation. And what's very interesting, you go back and look at Jesus' life and he was always dining with somebody. And he didn't really seem to be care about what other people thought. And he didn't care uh, who they were. Matter of fact, Jesus, either he would go find them or they would come find him. It's amazing. There is a big difference between what we find here is association and separation. And, and so you look at this story today. And so there are basically, um, there are three key players. There's Jesus. There's Simon the Pharisee. And then there's, there's this woman who's the sinful woman. Now, what's very interesting, and I made this point last night, my, my son Cameron came to church last night. I love it when my kids come to church. And, and so he was sitting here riding there, and, and Cameron was actually really listening. He says, Dad, you know what? When I got home, he says, that's one of my favorite stories, that woman, the sinful woman. He says, but I didn't realize when you taught tonight that we really don't know what her sin was. Well, we always just assumed that she was a prostitute. But it doesn't say that. We don't know if her sin had to do with being a thief. We don't know if she was a prostitute, if it was some kind of a sexual sin. We don't know if she was struggling with some kind of form of alcoholism. We don't really know what was going on in the woman's life. We just know that she is a sinful woman. And she comes to Jesus. And she crashes the party. 
Now, once again, the, this, the Pharisees are all, you know, everybody in that room. So you have, actually, you'd have Jesus, you got Simon the Pharisee, you got the simple woman, and then you got the whole entourage of the other dinner guest. Hold on to them too. They're there. And, and so what's very powerful when you look at this story is that, um, so Simon, um, Jesus comes in, and you all know the story, the kids, right? So when, they, when, they came, when he came in, Simon didn't welcome him with a kiss, which is the total normal protocol. It's like when you greet someone, it'd be like if you, someone came to your house and you would welcome them, either a family member or a friend, you would hug them, embrace them, or shake their hand. That was just kind of a typical greeting. So he didn't greet, them, greet him with a kiss. Uh, we, we know that he didn't actually wash his feet, which is typical protocol when you, you know, in view of the Holy Land, you know what, and you're walking around in sandals 2,000 years ago, your feet get dirty. And so typically someone would be there to wash your feet. The equivalent of that today would be if, like if you lived up north and it was cold and someone would say, hey, let me take your coat for you. Okay. And then the last part of this is that they would actually kind of like freshen up. There would be the, kind of this perfume oil, this olive oil that they would kind of, you know, actually sprinkle on yourself to make you smell a little better. It's, now, I know this is a little weird, but you know what? I, I, I'm pretty concerned. You know, this would be the equivalent of Old Spice. I just want you to know that. So, you know, Simon Hammond, Jesus, some Old Spice. Jesus, I think you need to be freshened up a little bit. Okay. So even Jesus probably needed deodorant. Okay. So we just kind of get that clear. This is put that out there, but it, reality is what it is. So reality is that Simon doesn't offer Jesus any of this. Matter of fact, it's almost pretty insulting. And yet we find this woman who's the sinful woman who comes and crashes the party and falls at Jesus' feet. You want the story. And you know what I love about this part of the story is that she comes and she has, I, I think she's the, one of the most courageous people in the room. I mean, it takes, it takes audacity, it takes some boldness, it takes courage to come in to the middle of this room that's all male dominant, and she comes clutching her most prized possession, its perfume. And then she falls down at Jesus' feet, and she was weeping uncontrollably, and she anoints Jesus' feet with that costly oil, clutching it. And then she lets down her hair, which is actually a very provocative thing for a woman to do this in, in public. Women never did this. Let down her hair in order to dry his feet with her tears. Wow. So here, here's the little part of this whole thing about pride and being judgmental. I know that that would never happen to anybody of us, right? right? Being a little prideful, a little judgmental. Okay. So here's the part of the story that's really powerful is that What's, what's going on with Simon? He's full of pride because he actually calls out Jesus and says, you know, if you really knew that, you know, if what kind of woman, what kind of sinful woman she is, then, then you would, if you really are a prophet, you would know exactly what kind of woman she is, right? He's thinking this. Okay, and, and so what's very powerful is so, are you ready for this? So Simon's up here. Jesus is down here. And the sinful woman's down here. Now, how do we know that? Because Simon's full of pride. Doesn't even have a care to be able to offer this simple hospitality to Jesus. So Simon's looking down at Jesus. And you know what's very powerful? Let's just look at the story. Simon's looking down at Jesus, and, D and Simon's looking down even lower at the simple woman. But you know what? Here's a powerful thing, is the simple woman's looking up at Jesus. Now, what can we learn from the simple woman about being humble and being gracious 
because she is at Jesus' feet and she is so low, she's not gonna put herself up here. Okay, so once again, so Jesus is, we, we learned something about Jesus here in this story. So Jesus is not about separate. Pharisees are always about separation, but Jesus is about association. Okay, so let me teach for, for like five, the next five or six minutes. And so here's the interesting thing about the story, about being candid. So here are the little points that um, Tom Berlin highlights in his, in his, in his uh, book. And I think they're really, really good points. And so the first point is that he began with courtesy. Can you say it with me? He began with courtesy. Okay, so here's what it is. Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, speak. So that's the first thing that Jesus said. And I think it's just, uh, it, it's just brilliant on Jesus. But see, Jesus' role, his goal here is actually, he's got to get on first base. But he knows if, G, if he, he, he knows if he comes in with the hammer, he's not going to get the first base. Now, I, I, I don't know about you all, but if someone insulted me and I came to their house and treated me like the way that Simon was treating Jesus, I would say, you're a complete loser. You're an idiot right? This is how I would feel, right? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to leave. But, so, but it, nothing gets accomplished this way. So Jesus, in his brilliant way, he even asked permission to speak, okay? And so what's very, very powerful is, I don't know about you all, but here's what happens in my life. I don't know if I've heard probably this, if I've heard it a hundred times, I've heard it a thousand times in my marriage. Harold, 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 be nice. Don't yell. Don't, do not yell at your children. It's not going to be good. Oh, and by the way, when you go and check out at the auto place at Walmart, make sure that you're kind because they do know you're the senior pastor. Okay. Right? So, so you know, I, I have a tendency to want to hammer when I react. But this is not how Jesus handles the situation. So he starts with a sense of courtesy by asking permission from Simon to speak. Okay, so here's the second thing is, th- then he proceeds with caution. And so here's the next part. So Jesus is offering through this story a, a whole new point of view. A certain man, a certain creditor had two debt, two debtors, one owed 500 denai and the other owed 50. When they could not pay that, he canceled the debt of the both of them. Now Jesus is telling Simon, now which one of them will love him even more? And so what's very interesting is Jesus unfolds this. So Jesus tells him the story in order to get him to start thinking. By the way, here's a great, here's another brilliant part of the story is that all the attention is now on the story. It's not on the woman. Take, diverts it all. This is brilliant on Jesus. So, so Jesus says, okay, let's just, let me be courteous to you. Uh, let, let's proceed with caution. So he tells him, tells him this story, and it starts making him start to think maybe a whole brand new point of view. So here's the thing, third thing. Jesus finds a place of agreement. Because then Simon answered, well, I, I suppose, Jesus, it's the one for whom he canceled the greatest debt. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. So here's another beautiful thing. When you, if you can get to at least get to first base and you start having a conversation, you get people to start thinking a little bit differently, then maybe you can find a common ground. Because if you can find a common ground, then maybe you can make some kind, even though maybe you are willing to agree to disagree, but at least you're not being hurtful. You're able to at least listen to someone else's perspective. 
So I, I love this, what Tom Berlin says, when we find points of agreement with people with whom we disagree, we stand in a common space as equals and partners rather than adverse adversaries, hoping to win a fight by a higher tally of most corrective points scored. Here's the fourth thing. Focus on the issue at hand. And so what's very powerful then, I don't know about you all, because here's the interesting thing about this story. Jesus makes it clear he's not focusing on the woman's past sins. He's focusing on what's happening right here and right now. Now listen, I don't know if you all ever have been in a dis- disagreement with someone and you, maybe their family member, or your spouse, your children or a friend or someone. And you know what happens, we typically do, we want to bring up everything in the past in order to win the argument. Has it else have happened to anybody else besides me? Anybody, right? We bring up all the past stuff in order to try to throw it into the situation in order that we will win because it's all about winning, but not with Jesus. Jesus said, this is not about our past sins. It's about what's going on here around this table right now. And by the way, you have really, well, Simon, you're full of pride. And the people around your table are full of judgment towards me and this woman. So, so here's, the, here's the interesting thing. Jesus is not about, in this story, about hurting people. Jesus is about healing people. Jesus is about healing the heart of the sinful woman. Jesus is about healing the heart of Simon, who is full of pride. And Jesus is trying to heal the heart of all the people around that table who are full of judgment. Do you get that? Jesus in this story is not about hurting people. Jesus is all about trying to heal people. And by the way, as ugly as Simon treated Jesus, Jesus still loved him. He's trying to heal him. Okay, so he does that in a way in order that he's courteous. He doesn't throw him under the bus. He doesn't say, you're a loser. He doesn't bring down the hammer. And he focuses in on him. And then here's the last little, two little points is he gives Simon some room. And I love that point because, see, what happens is he finally comes to the point and says, listen, he tells him the story and he lets him figure out, well, you know, okay, well, we've got a common ground. We agree that, you know, the one who is forgiven the most debt is probably the one who should be most grateful. Okay, we got that. We, we agree on that. Okay, and then the last part of this part of the story is, is that Jesus allows him to come to his own conclusion. And so what's very powerful, when you look at the story and you look how it all breaks down, then he said to her, your sins are forgiven for by those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who was even forgiven the sins? And he said to the woman, by the way, your faith has saved you, go in in peace. So the goal here is once again, Jesus allows and telling the story and the way he unfolds the story, he doesn't bring down the hammer. He doesn't all of a sudden try to say that, you know, he doesn't, uh, isn't condescending. Uh, he allows them to be able to have the room to come to their own conclusions. And allow the Holy Spirit to convict. So let me ask you, has that ever happened with you? You know, someone said something to you and then you take it maybe somewhat offensive and then all of a sudden you have a chance to reflect upon it and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit starts working on you 
in order to maybe convict you? And then the last part of this, and I think this is great, he talks about concluding with the blessing. And so very, this is so great on Jesus' part. Jesus doesn't focus so much about what he's done as far as, far as um, about her faith. Jesus draws the attention and says, and by the way, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And so what I love about this is this, this final blessing, this story, it's not so much what Jesus has done, but it has everything to do with what she has done. For she, because of her faith, she's figured it out. And the question in the, around this table, we don't know how the story all unfolds. We don't know if Simon figured it out. We don't know if the people around that table figured it out. But we really know that the one who's the lowest at, Jesus's ta- at Simon's table, who's at Jesus' feet, she figures it out. And she's a sinful woman. So I'll close with this. Once upon a time, there was a guy who was a, well, a coach, Little League. And there was a guy named Pat Ford. He comes in, we're managers, and we're going back and forth. And he says to me, you know, I thought you were better than that, Harold. I thought this was for the kids, Harold. Hmm. So here's the interesting thing. I, so I, I felt convicted. And I felt bad. I was sorry for what I did. So I called Pat up two or three days later. I said, Pat, I just want you to know, I really am sorry, I blew that. I said, I really appreciate you sharing with me. I appreciate your candor and your candidness. And it took guts for you to say that. And I said, I'm very, very sorry. And then I apologized to little Johnny and his mother in front of the team. I said, Johnny, I should let you play that night. I said, I'm so sorry. And I hope you forgive me. I I really am. I'm very, very sorry that I, I did that. And by the way, here's the interesting thing. When my father died, Pat Ford is a, a nurseryman. He owns his own nursery. So when he found out that my father died, you know what he did? He sent a truck three and a half hours all the way from Boynton Beach in order to plant two trees in the back of our church. They're crepe myrtles in memory of my father. See, to me, that's Grace. That means there's even hope for me. And there's hope for you. And there's hope for Simon. And there are hope for all those guys who are sitting around the table. And there's even hope for a sinful woman. And what's beautiful, how Jesus did the whole thing, how he unfolded the whole thing, he never said one condescending thing in that whole conversation. And yet he was spot on and very, very candid. What can we learn? Because Jesus is not about separation. Jesus is about association. And we follow him.